Nick and Trish. Yeah, well, as, as you've mentioned, Deb, uh, with the election just two weeks away, <laughs> uh, we welcome to the studio the sitting member for the Blue Mountains, Trish Doyle. Of course, regular listeners will know in recent weeks we've heard on the program from several other candidates, but it's fair to say that Trish is the best known, mainly because she won the seat of the Blue Mountains for Labour from the Liberals back in 2015. Now, if you don't know Trish, she's a long-time activist and has advocated strongly for changes to domestic violence and sexual assault laws. Before politics, she was a teacher in the mountains. Quite a few people would know her through that. She's a strong believer in trade unionism and is a member of the Teachers' Federation and the Australian Services Union. Of course, she's also involved in many community organisations, including the Conservation Society and our very own Blue Mountains Unions and Community. So, Trish, we welcome you back to Rights, Rorts and Rents. Um, how's it been as a campaign overall? Because it, to me it seemed to be a bit of a slow burner. I don't know if it's because Christmas getting in the way or it's, it's warmed up in recent weeks, but what did you think? Yeah, it's been an interesting campaign, um, relatively quiet, I think, Nick. I put that down to a few factors. One, there was a bit of voter fatigue, volunteer fatigue, um, after the federal election that ran that campaign ran for a very long time uh, and then of course on the back of fires and floods and COVID and more floods and you know sort of war zones around the world and then Christmas I think people just generally felt a bit tired um, I'm firmly of the belief that things don't really kick off in terms of a schedule for the year until um, you know, after Survival Day, Australia Day, so sort of towards the end of January. Um, so that's when I sort of earnest in earnest start started out um, talking to the community. Um, so people, a lot of people not as engaged. Mm. Um, perhaps that's because, uh, you know, they felt very strongly about removing the Prime Minister last year and they succeeded in doing that. Um, uh, but it feels a bit different this week. Yeah. Last well, I mean, of one of the things is, I mean, I live in Katoomba and for a long time there were no signs up for any candidate. Now there are a lot of signs up for you. Now I know you, you'd be very careful about not being complacent about this and not taking anything for, for granted at all. But it, it's, as you say, to me, it's only really warmed up in the last week or so. Against that, though, you've got to say that, and there used to be a saying, you know, if you change a government, you, say, you change a country. And I think the same with the state. And we've had a coalition government in for 12 years. So in a moment, we'll get to some of the key areas you're campaigning on, which include public transport, public health, public education, and stronger environmental protections in our World Heritage listed national park. But first, a couple of big issues which have come out this week prominent in the Gazette, front page lead story, headline, $25 million for hospital. Now, this'll, this is important to most people in the mountains. Um, tell us what Labor's doing in this area. So, Nick, this is on the back of quite intense work over many years by a number of community groups um, and, you know, individual residents who've had experiences at our Blue Mountains Hospital and probably predominantly in the last couple of years on the back of um, a New South Wales parliamentary inquiry into health outcomes for people in regional and rural 
areas, which I made a submission to, uh, but also as the local member, hearing on a daily, weekly basis stories about um, horror stories about our hospital. Now, in saying that, I first want to begin by acknowledging all the workers because our hospital is able to do what it does um, in a dilapidated state because of the skill and the commitment of our fantastic um, nurses and midwives and allied health workers and doctors uh, keeping it all together. But it was very clear after the last election um, that... Uh, the clinicians and the community wanted to work together on a plan for a new hospital. And they were led to believe, I think, by the coalition government at the time that there was money set aside for that. But shortly after 2019, um, that seemed to be shelved. So uh, my conversations um, with the local health district and with the minister pointed to the fact that something had started but it had been shelved. So I've been working with Ryan Park, our Shadow Minister for Health, with the Hospital Auxiliary, with different community groups, with the clinicians, the Medical Staff Council and using all of those anecdotal stories from residents um, to, you know, put in a plug, um, so a, a submission to the Economic Review Committee via Labor's Shadow Cabinet to provide some money for that planning process for a new hospital. Um, but there was also, you know, the reality that a new hospital is not going to be built overnight. It would take about a decade and quite a bit of money. Um, and we needed to make some urgent repairs and improvements in the meantime at the existing facility because that's fallen into appalling disrepair in the you last 12 the years. Roofs leaking amongst Yes, things. yes. So I managed to take Chris Minns as the opposition leader. I took um, Ryan Park and I managed to get Brad Hazard without his posse of um, bureaucrats to walk through the hospital. And when Brad Hazard said to me... Um, the two worst hospitals in New South Wales are Canterbury and Blue Mountains. I knew that that's something that I had to push for in terms of a commitment from Labor for this election campaign. So I was very pleased on Monday to have Ryan Park up and to stand at the hospital with a number of representatives from those various groups, the Lura Gardens Festival as well, as you know, raise millions of dollars for the hospital, um, to commit $25 million to that planning process. But it's also, um, it will also include uh, um, a comprehensive, what they call a comprehensive refresh and review of the clinical services plan, because that plan will tell us what is needed for Katoomba and Springwood hospitals. Um, the essential infrastructure works for the roof and... Um, it will also that money will also include um, some additional upgrades. So an upgrade of the um, of the emergency department. Yeah. Uh, anyone who you might speak to will tell you that um, they don't have the staff or the equipment to deal with emergencies. So to take the pressure off Nepean Hospital and for our community hospital to be able to deal with locals, we need to actually upgrade that with the um, associated m equipment, the medical and nursing staff. And um, to set up an ambulatory care unit, we've got a shortage of GPs in the mountains and people often, if they can't get in to see their doctor, go to emergency. And that uh, it's absolutely um, 
a war zone in there sometimes. So an ambulance. Just, just, sorry, just mm. one. Sorry to interrupt. One, one, yeah. one example, I guess, in what can happen. We know on the highway you can get some bad collisions. There was one a couple of weeks ago, wasn't there? Somewhere between Lure and Wentworth Falls, where yes. quite a few people were badly injured. Mm. They weren't taken to the local hospital, were they? They were taken elsewhere. Now, I don't know if that was because the local hospital couldn't take them or the injuries were so serious they needed a higher level of care. Look, I understand that the injuries were pretty serious, so they needed to be flown to some of those bigger tertiary hospitals. Mm. And we can't have a hospital that offers everything, but we should be able to offer more than what we have. So um, some of those things that people have told me in the last eight years I've been um, the representative is infusion and chemotherapy services, mm. so people don't need to do that that, tr- that trek, you know, from Katoomba all the way down to Nepean for 15 minutes. Yeah, I can speak from that personally. It's a, yeah. it's a, especially if you're someone... I've basically had friends helping me and driving me down there, so... Um, yeah. yeah. So um, infusion and chemotherapy services, an expanded palliative care unit, cardiology, neurology and hemodialysis services. So that's what I heard from the Medical Staff Council, the the workers, the community, and I put together a submission. And, um, you know, it's it's not going to deliver exactly what we need immediately, but it's going to go some way towards it. We need to have a plan in place. So what it is is, in a, in a sense, patching up the hospital at the moment so it can still deliver the services needed, or most of them, but long-term we won't be seeing a, a new hospital in, in the mountains for realistically probably 10 years well it takes a long time to get yeah, these things built anyway we talking does. about 10 years well you've got to do a bit of a scoping plan as to where it might be built um and i think brad hazard in his health infrastructure people told me it would be eight to ten years um but in the ne- in the meantime we need to start planning that facility that's fit for purpose and will serve our community into the future but expand some of the services we offer now so we don't need to see so many of our community um, shuttled off down to Nepean, which is, n- is not coping. Mm. No. Okay, from the hospital to the tunnel, <laughs> another big project. To remind uh, listeners, that tunnel was proposed to run from uh, Blackheath to, uh, uh, to Hartley, 11 kilometres, which I'm told would make it the longest tunnel in Australia. Big project, yeah. costing billions. Mm. And there was talk about it starting work starting fairly soon. My understanding is Labor's now pressed the pause button on this project. What, what's the story there? That's right, Nick. So Labor's position is to defer the tunnel proposal for two years in, um, in a similar way to the federal government's decision to just press pause on the money that was committed by the previous federal government. Um, And that, that decision, has been supported by advice from Infrastructure New South Wales um, to pause that project along with several others. So uh, last week, Chris Minns um, pointed out the list of infrastructure projects across the state that have been announced by the coalition government, but they remain unfunded. So what happens in usually in the December before an election year, the opposition has a look at the books, has a look at the budget outlook, it's called, parliamentary budget outlook. But the government kicked that process down the road, so it wasn't until just recently we were able to have a look at what money is in the bucket, basically. 
and we discovered there's actually no money in budget estimates whatsoever for the tunnel. Um, instead... Oh, sorry, just on that, how much is needed? Because these things generally start off at one figure and the figure generally gets more. Yeah, so so an initially the, the amount that was bandied around was around $10 billion. And I heard from a re reputable source, um, a former roads engineer with the you know, old RTA stroke RMS, mm. that you wouldn't get much change now from $15 billion. So it's a hell of a lot of money. So what um, Labor discovered is that there's a $50 billion budget black hole and that in order to pay for some of their um, unfunded promises, they'd have to they'd do that with um, privatising more right. of our public assets. So... Um, what we know is on the, you know, on the board is essential energy and Sydney water. Um, and we have made a commitment that we are not privatising. We're not going to sell off any more public assets. So uh, we had to make some hard decisions and we decided that the $1.1 billion that was in the budget for um, funding upgrades, so what they call the east and the west section, that he, for a period... Um, of two years, we will just divert that money to um, fund upgrades across Western Sydney, regional and rural New South Wales. Um, so that's the reality, that's the facts. Um, and I think it's you know, disappointing that some of the reporting on that was, you know, Labor's going to axe this tunnel. So, it's not, um, <laughs> so let's clear it up. Yeah, Labor's no. policy is not to axe the tunnel, it's no. to pause it. I mean, we could talk a lot about the pros and cons. I don't think yeah. maybe we will because there's more immediate things to talk about. No, we know if Labor wins, yeah. we won't be looking at it again for another two years. No, I mean, no, because we need... I've been calling for years to, to have a look at the business case, uh, the community, and, and I've been calling for a long time to have an entire EIS, an environmental impact, impact statement, looking at the entirety of the project. Um, uh, instead, there's been small... Look, you know, reviews of our environmental factors. Um, so there needs to be, I think, um, elements of the community that were not consulted by Transport for New South Wales need to have their voices heard. That had just started that consultation process, hadn't it? The well, I'm told that... Um, so I wasn't included. All the elected it? representatives really? were not mm. able to be part of a committee that was hand-selected. Now, those people feel like... Some of those people tell me that it was a good consultation process but if you're not sitting around the table you don't think it's so good it's actually seems to be something that's shrouded in secrecy and the person who did speak outside that committee process was sacked they were kicked off um, but the truth of is is the tunnel section has never been funded and I think Paul Toole has misled um, his community and ours he has led them to believe that it was going to go ahead, but there was no money ever approved. I, I know people yeah. think it, I'm sure they thought it was going to go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So um, uh, Infrastructure New South Wales said to the government in uh, June last year that they should reconsider the timing and the sequence of a number of large complex projects because the money did not stack up. And if you look for news stories around that time, you'll see Perrottet actually took that advice and shelved it. So it wasn't, wasn't Labor who did that, it was the government. And what we will do is we will um, 
respect the expert advice of Infrastructure New South Wales. We'll pause that proposal and consider the business case, environmental impacts, the flawed consultation process, and we'll review some of those residents who feel some of their views and, and what they feel. So I spoke to a woman this week in Blackheath who's only just discovered that, um, that at the back of her place will become a 23-hectare worksite with car parks and structures for the next 10 years. Um, and she had no idea. But that, that, won't, that, hap that, that won't happen now. Well, it depends on it depends on whether we're able to pause parts of the contracts that may have already been awarded. Um, you might have you might remember that um, some of them were just before Christmas last year. I mean, for me, Nick, to be completely honest with you, I think Paul Tool is on a promise to the trucking industry. He made a promise to them to get more, bigger, longer B-double trucks from Central West to the city. And the easiest way was to remove the certification on Victoria Pass and create a way in which they could get there faster. If you move beyond east of Katoomba, so you, you know, you've had this process that's been happening in the upper mountains, but if you move east of Katoomba, none of those communities have been consulted. What does it mean for us if we were to have, you know, three times, four times, ten times the amount of, of truck traffic on our highway? So that needs to be discussed with mm. the community. Okay, well, this is Rights, Rorts and Rents uh, with Deborah Smith, me, Nick Franklin, and we're talking to Trish Doyle, sitting member for the Blue Mountains. And we're talking transport... Um, but we're talking about lots of other things, and Deborah wants to tell me something. It's time to hear from our station sponsors. Quite right. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take a break. Of course. This is Rights, Rorts and Rants on RBM 89.1 FM, streaming live on www.rbm.org.au. Welcome back to Rights, Rorts and Rants on Radio Blue Mountains 89.1 FM. I'm Deborah Smith, and in the studio with me are Nick Franklin and... Trish Doyle, welcome back. Thanks, Deb. Hey, Deb. We, we were talking about transport. Before we move on, Trish, um, Labor's policies on transport. I mean, polls have shown that the biggest issue for a lot of people these days is cost of living, and transport, of course, is part of that. Has, has Labor got anything to offer people? Yeah, look, just a couple of things, because we could actually use the entire next half an hour <laughs> talking just about transport. As you know... Um, Back in the day that I was looking to, uh, you know, when I was campaigning, first campaigning for this seat of the Blue Mountains, there was a huge timetable review and um, changes made that I think disadvantaged the Blue Mountains line and, and commuters. So just in recent days, I've had the Shadow Minister for Transport, Joe Halen, come up and um, and discuss the fact that we will run... if if. Elected, uh, a men's Labor government will have a timetable review to better de deliver services for the needs of our community. Um, we know that things have changed so much. There have been inadequate train services. There's been um, a need for more train services. There's been issues around capacity. There's been issues around the new inner city fleet. 
um, being delivered, but also people are working and travelling differently and we seem to have more people on our roads. So this review into the train timetable will do a couple of things, um, but as part of that review I've asked the, uh, the Labor team whether we might um, consider scheduling um, additional train services by way of a yo-yo or shuttle service. So we've got the stock... Um, we just need to apply the staff to that and, you know, obviously in a timetable you'd look at freight services and passenger services but what people have been telling me for years since 2011 when I was first running um, that it would be great if we had a shuttle service between Mount Victoria and Penrith just going backwards and forwards mm. all day because that way people could move between villages but also... You know, we, we've had um, across the political spectrum people standing down in Western Sydney where they reckon that that's where the, the contest really is. Down in Western Sydney saying we need to improve transport for Western Sydney. Now, sometimes we are included in that, Western Sydney, and often we're not. Once you cross the river and start heading up the hill, we actually do get less in the way of services. So if we can get people down to Penrith, there's services every 15 minutes that go to the city and elsewhere and same when you're in the city 15 every 15 minutes trains to Penrith but not so in the mountains we have you know one every hour in our bigger stations and sometimes like Blackheath one every couple of hours so I think we need a timetable review and I'd love to see a trial of this yo-yo service I'm sure that'll be popular and uh, I think a lot of people appreciate that but others of course have to use a car for work or because of it's not easy to get to their place of work by public transport. And as you know, the cost of petrol is shooting up. Mm. Uh, uh, tolls, very expensive. Has Labor got any plans for um, easing life on, on the tollway? Well, as you know, we've been, we've been talking about the toll mania of the Perrottet government for a long time. Um, and that sort of began some years ago when we knew that the the tollway had been paid off on the M4 mm. and then they whacked it back on to fund West Connects. So um, Labor will review the tolls again. We have said that we won't add any additional tolls and that we'll provide relief for um, drivers. But I think besides all of those smaller measures that might make it a bit easier in the cost of living, if we can actually shift people get them off the road and back into our public transport system, um, which, you know, under this government, I have to tell you, I, th I thought we were at risk of losing. You know, run a service into the ground so much that someone, you know, might turn around and say, oh, look, it's actually not working as a public service. We're going to need to privatise it to make it viable. Um, so, yes, tolls um, cut into people's ability to, you know, pay their way um, and other expenses. So offering some relief there is important. Both major parties have offered that. Um, but my focus is going to be about, you know, encouraging um, people to get back on the train. Sure. But uh, we're talking about the trains. Mm -hmm. Where they're built has, ah, has yeah. been a problem <laughs> because, you know, there was a time when they were built in Australia and I gather in Victoria they are built um, in Victoria but... The coalition government has had a lot of problems with the trains they've had built overseas. Yes, and they it, weren't... To put it mildly. Exactly, <laughs> to put it mildly. So we all know that the campaign to build them here began here in the Blue Mountains when um, 
I was uh, passed a document by a railway worker who said you should have a look at the the details of this transaction between the government, um, you know, and a, um, the South Korean mob that are going to build them um, for off the shelf. Um, and I revealed that um, Gladys Berejiklian and Andrew Constance bought trains from South Korea that didn't fit the tracks, tunnels and platforms west of Springwood. So in um, 2017, I jumped up um, at the Labor conference and I passed platform amendments um, alongside the AMWU and the RTBU to ensure that those mistakes couldn't happen again, that future major procurement contracts could use Australian-designed and built products. So in that way, with local, um, local design and engineering expertise, with skilled domestic manufacturing, we could actually ensure the quality, safety and true value for money from those public investments. So um, today, just today, I stood with the RTBU and the AMWU with a pledge that we would build them here, um, you know, keep the jobs in Australia, build fit for purpose um, transport. Um, so I, I believe that the debacle that has been the trains that don't fit the tracks, people didn't used to believe me that the specifications in the tender document um, left out the fact that our, you know, on our Blue Mountains line, these new trains actually wouldn't fit. And, you know, you had Andrew Constance who would get up and say, we did that on purpose because we need to upgrade the line. No, they didn't. They did it to save a buck and they've ended up spending ten times more. It's that old, it's that old saying, uh, penny wise and pound foolish, isn't it? Right. Exactly. And as someone said to me, I think, at the last election, uh, measure twice and cut once, yes. Trish. <laughs> so just to be straight on that, Trish, you're saying that uh, a men's government would build trains here yes. in Australia. Yes, yes. That's great. That's, trains, that's, ferries, buses. That's great to hear. Privatisation, we sort of touched on it. But we've seen some of us in BMUC, in fact, most of us would say disastrous privatisations, which we as a union movement, as you know, fought against in many areas, including the poles and wires. Yet water, probably the most precious thing we can have after fresh air. At one stage in the campaign, Premier Perisay declined to rule out privatising water. I think he later made a correction on that. But with their reputation for privatisation, with the fact that early on he said he wouldn't rule it out, it's always a fear. Does, can Labor promise that there won't be any more privatisations? Yes, all of Labor candidates have signed a pledge that we will not sell off Sydney water. We won't sell off any more public assets. We can't. It's been disastrous. And, you know, if you even just look at energy, which was the huge campaign mm. for the, I think, the... Electrical, yeah, the union. ETU. Yep. Um, you know, there was all these promises that um, it would bring down the cost um, of electricity, and it didn't. It did quite the opposite. Um, and I think that people look at the government when they make, um, and especially their weasel words when they make promises that we, we're not considering that we don't plan to do that. So they're not actually ruling it out altogether, um, you know, at that moment that seems to cover them. We're, yeah. not, we're not going to at the moment. But privatisation is disastrous for communities. Um, and I think most people, most people that you would talk to would say we need to keep public assets in public hands. Mm. I mean, water. 
Jeez, N- nothing, a... nothing more precious. I mean, on, on electricity, I've still got in the back of my garden shed a, a core flute that says, you will pay more. I've just got to change it to, you did pay more. <laughs> <laughs> I think you should actually get a big texter and add that word and take it out on election day, Nick. <laughs> That's right. As a reminder. Well, that's, that's clear on privatisation. I think um, a lot of people in the union movement would be glad to hear that. Let's go to education, which I know is something close to your heart because before a political life you were a teacher, yes. a teacher here in the Blue Mountains. According to the Teachers' Federation, almost 3,000 permanent teaching positions are vacant, vacant in New South Wales public schools. Can Labor do anything about this? This, as you said, this is um, very close to my heart. I spent um, 25 years as a casual or temporary teacher um, and the permanent positions dwindled over that time. So I think Labor's commitment to creating 10,000 more permanent teaching roles by shifting those temporary and casual you know, precarious positions um, into permanent roles will stem the attrition rates um, and also boost our um, boost our workforce, um, but it, that's not the only thing that's going to fix the crisis no, that we no, have no. in education. Because people are leaving, people are, have told us time and time again. Teachers are telling us that they're exhausted, that there's too much administrative work, that they're doing the the job of parents, society, and schools, which. Um, is actually really unfair and they actually don't have the support in the classrooms to deal with sort of individual needs of students. So um, I think the the permanent teachers, 10,000 permanent teachers, is an excellent excellent announcement. And... um, I mean, one of the things you hear a lot is teacher burnout and that's, again, according to the Teachers' Federation, two-thirds of teachers have told the government that they're burnt out and 60% of teachers are looking to leave the profession in the next five years, yeah. which is due to workload, workload pressure. Uh, I mean, as you say, it's not just about getting extra people in there. There's a lot more to it than that, isn't mm. it? Yeah, I think the, the important thing here for all public, all public sector workers is that wages, uh, that Labor will smash the wages cap as well. So we will enter into negotiations to lift the wages of our essential workers. And that includes teachers. Um, we expected so much of them, and as the campaign says, more than thanks. You know, that's there were a few thanks thrown out um, to teachers through COVID, especially like thanks for taking on, mm. you know, roles beyond, above and beyond your job descriptions. But we don't pay them accordingly. Mm. So I think that is important to. Um, the, the Teachers' Federation, which have been arguing on behalf of their members, I'm still one, I'm still a member of the Teachers' Federation, um, to, to deal with um, the fact that teachers are leaving in droves, pay them more, pay them what they're worth. And uh, I suppose... So, on I'm sorry to interrupt. What, mm. what any teachers listening, as you know, we've got members mm. who are teachers, obviously. What sort of percentage are you looking at a year? I think Perite capped teachers pay at 2.53%. Mm. Well, I think that uh, Chris Minns and Prukar as the, the shadow education minister have said we're just going to smash that cap. So we'll enter into um, an agreement, we'll enter into negotiations. I mean, you've, you've, we've had government 
this government who hasn't even been prepared to enter into negotiations mm. with the unions that represent their mm. workers across the board, across all portfolios, um, but especially, you know, in education, if we listen to the experts um, and what they are asking um, what they're telling us is happening at the coalface, on the ground, um, and we go from there. I don't think there's been any number attached to that, Nick, um, but so I think I, it's I, abolishing the wages cap is the important thing and then entering into negotiations in goodwill yeah. is a, important. As a former public servant, we had the same thing in the federal public service. The, the Liberals put a, a cap on how much of a pay rise you could get when it was negotiated mm. every year. And to my point of view, if you're saying no, it doesn't matter how productive you are, it doesn't matter what you give up, we're going to stick to this 2%, to me, that's not negotiation. Exactly. That's, that's um, I've forgotten the, the word, that's arbitrary. Yes. It's, it's got nothing to do with how well people do their job and it doesn't reward people for doing a good job. And so we don't know what the circumstances might be like at any given point in time, but to actually say to teachers, well, we will sit down around the negotiating table uh, with your union, we respect unions, and we'll have a conversation about what we can do here, mm. and we will abolish the wages cap as good. And then I think the third point on education, Nick, is this Education Future Fund, um, which will address the historic underfunding of public schools. Um, so the resources that public schools have compared to other um, other systems. So as we, we need to get more school counsellors in. We need to actually address um, the the need to house students and teachers in schools when they are at capacity. Um, you know, I think I sent my eldest boy um, to Springwood High School, and I remember when he was there, the school was sinking into the ground. And they were just doing, you know, little bits and pieces of patch-up jobs. Um, you know, some schools like that need a complete rebuild. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if on that list of, of actual schools, the school infrastructure and who they're actually targeting, um, there is also, you know, sort of a Labor and Coalition-held seats and they leave Labor off the, off the list. We know that that kind of pork barreling happens, so I wouldn't be surprised if that's, that's the case. So... Um, uh, I think that this plan to um, uh, provide extra tutoring and extra school counsellors and extra support staff will actually take uh, a lot of that pressure off the teachers but also to, to invest in school infrastructure. You know, demountables were ever, always meant to just be a temporary thing mm. but they've become permanent. Oh, let's just whack another demountable on the school oval rather than look at communities and addressing the need for that school infrastructure. Yeah, well, I've, I've seen those at Katuma High School, demountables, several in the last few years. TAFE, while we're finished, before we finish on education, we should talk about TAFE because that's been, although there's still plenty of good people working there it's been run down mm. the, the classic way you, you just get rid of the jobs you get rid of the jobs you get rid of the courses and we hear a lot about sort of reskilling australia what would labor do to revive tafe so i don't know how many rallies we've been on together actually over the years i think i've been in either a stop tafe cuts or save tafe uh, T-shirt for, I don't know, the best part of um, the last 15 years. 
and um, it has been stripped. Um, TAFE has been stripped bare. Um, so Labor has committed to supporting TAFE um, to deliver their long-term strategies and resolve the statewide skills shortage by guaranteeing a minimum of 70% of total skills funding for TAFE itself, so not to private entities but for TAFE to build that up again to the great institution it once was. Because um, uh, haven't 4,500 jobs gone from TAFE? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. Would they be replaced? Do you think well, I, I think it's, a, it's such a tough situation because people have been so badly burnt and traumatised, I think, by the crippling of TAFE. They've, they've actually devastated that institution. So to actually invest um, and, and say, look, 70% of all money for skills training will go into this institution and then build from there... Um, Labor has said our TAFE system was once a force to be reckoned with and we need to bring back that investment um, and we need to bring back the teachers, but it will take, take some time. So just in recent days, Nick um, and Deb, um, there's been a commitment to establishing TAFE domestic manufacturing centres of excellence around the state and I think that works hand in glove with this AMWU, yep. um, the Australian Manufacturing Workers Union and the Rail Tram Bus Union to build here. Um, so uh, as well as boosting skills and um, boosting apprentices and creating new jobs, in Western Sydney, the Hunter and the Illawarra, there'll be these centres of excellence. And um, that I think that attracts um, an investment of nearly $43 million to upgrading and fitting out those facilities um, and to bring in 1,000 students a year um, and to offer courses like mechanical engineering and electrical fitting for free. Uh, you know, I'm, I suppose, a, a little old school and the left of the Labor Party believe that education should be free and um, I'll be one of those people in the caucus room that actually argues for um, that to be the case um, with incentives for students and teachers to, to come back to TAFE. One thing you touched on, Trish, and this is right through at 10 to 5 on Radio Blue Mountains, 89.1, you talked about pork barrelling. Now, when a government's been in for 12 years, an awful lot can go on. Uh, Gladys pointed out that Labor had done it in the past, but I think it'd be fair to say the Coalition did it in sort of industrial levels we hadn't seen before, to the extent that, say, and we're going to be talking uh, just after five with Kim DeGovrick, who will talk about the fires last time, the fires now and the fires next time, but one thing that's come out very clearly is that your seat was deprived of any money of, of that particular fund... Mm. Because you were Labor. I mean, do you, do you see now, I'm not asking you to commit to pork barrelling for Labor, <laughs> but there's a lot to make up for what you've missed out on. Look, when you have um, a Deputy Premier who sat around a table and made a decision um, based on politics rather than need and proudly called himself Pork Barrelaro and you politicised people who were traumatised and hurting and suffering out of the bushfires, most people, you know, 99% of people, I'm sure even some of the government members will say that has to change. There has to be um, a stringent 
um, set of criteria and an independent body that looks at what the need might be after disasters um, and allocate money um, in terms of you know economic recovery or small business recovery or community recovery based on need, no. not, not politics. Mm. I remember you had to push really just for one of those inquiries to include the Blue Mountains and a lot of people. That's I mean, right. we, were, we were allowed to attend it and have our three minutes worth, but many others did. Firefighters telling their stories, and it was quite clear that things had gone wrong before. There was a lot of good work done, but things did go wrong, and there was a lot of need for the future. Mm. Are you happy now that those lessons have been learned? Look, I'm really pleased that the Auditor General actually released this report and said that there was a lack of integrity and transparency, that it was quite evident that pork barrelling had been part of the you know, distribution of monies. I think people, not just in this state, but around the country and internationally would think, hmm, we're the most bushfire-prone area, you know, um, or one of the most bushfire-prone areas in the world, and for the Blue Mountains to miss out on some support, um, you know... Put it, sorry, put it another way. Would a men's government do the things that should have been done for oh, this area? Well, oh, let's look, let's ab talk uh, a personal... Abs absolutely. I have heard um, Chris Minns and our Shadow Minister for Emergency Services, who I work closely with, uh, because he took on that shadow portfolio after me, I've heard them commit to having an independent, have independent eyes on processes like that so it can't happen again. You need to build up trust with communities. I don't want to say, you know, Labor would do this and the Coalition did that and um, I think that is important that people know there will be an independent process um, so that something like that can never happen again. OK, when we're on... Um Fires, as you know, we've had, BMUC has had a long campaign to bring back the smoke detectors known as Airwatch, which were in most school grounds between Lithgow and Springwood. And basically, for 12 months, during the Black Summer fires, the worst of it, people could get online and see real, near real time how toxic the air was, and then the government took them away. So would Labor bring them back? I've had a really good conversation with Penny Sharp, our Shadow Minister for the Environment, on that. And she says, I can't see why not. Um, obviously, when, when, if, hopefully, uh, we're in government, we can actually have a look at why really important projects like that were canned. Um, I suspect it was just to save a few dollars. But when you have people in a job where they actually value people's health and they can see the benefits of that sort of research and those sorts of statistics, um, I think it's a no-brainer, actually. Um, Airwatch, not just for um, the impact of smoke on communities during bushfires, but the impact of uncovered coal trains, yep, as we know. Yeah, started, wasn't it? Yep, and... Um, I think that that campaign was embedded in the local schools community. I mean, there's many others, you know, including um, Unions Council that have jumped on that. Sure. But we absolutely have to um, uh, bring back programs that might assist in preventative health, health measures. So I have had a conversation with Penny um, and we both agree it's a no-brainer. How we might do that and when we might do that, you know, okay. it'd be good to have you around the table, have um, someone sit, yep. you know, someone representing well, you sitting around the table and um, 
that's something that Labor will do across the portfolios, have those kinds of consultations um, with, with communities again. Yeah, well, we'd love to be there. Very quickly, because um, it's coming up to five o'clock, um, these could have fairly quick answers, I suspect, Trish. Um, raising Warragamba Dam Wall by 14 metres. No. Because? Because what we should be focusing on is not building on floodplains, um, focusing on evacuation routes for people who are on floodplains and respecting Indigenous cultural heritage. Um, I... I encourage anyone because I've had lots of people ask me on the street and out and about um, just google Chris Minns and Warragamba Dam Wall and you will find um, a number of pieces where he actually says we will not raise Warragamba Dam Wall this is what we will do instead there's a whole range of other mechanisms that have been suggested by the experts to deal with the problem um, of, of flooding particularly but we do know that down on the plains the Stuart Ayres once stood in a paddock and said there will be development as far as the eye can see well under Labor there won't be you don't build on a floodplain. No well they've learnt some bitter lessons from that in the past well they haven't mm. learned the lessons that's a problem so and this is outside of the Blue Mountains but affects the Blue Mountains Western Sydney Airport opening day gets closer I've never heard where the, the flight the flight plans of you? No, I don't think they have been released yet. And I had a conversation with my colleague Susan Templeman, um, the member from Macquarie, just recently. There's a meeting, I think, down at Penrith Panthers on the 18th. Um, you can contact her office about that. Um, so, where there will be some information, I don't think, I don't know if they'll be releasing the flight paths, but there's be information around what's happening next, at least. At least there is a, a quite a bit more transparency now and people's questions will be answered. But a um, bit of a worry. OK, we'll watch that space. Mm. Uh, this is too big to give the amount of time we should, but energy and renewables, Labor has a fresh start for energy plan. What's the headlines of that? Um, I encourage people to go and have a look um, under Jihad Dib, who's the Shadow Minister for Energy, um, and there's a, quite a bit of detail there. It's too much to cover off now. Um, but moving away from emissions, um, actually having, um, you know, having a commitment to not selling off energy assets um, is an important an, an important step, but having this energy security corporation that oversees investment into renewables. So Jihad, Dib, uh, a fresh start energy plan labour, um, have a look there or contact my office and I'm happy to provide people with some information. Okay, that's good, Trish. Well, finally, before we go to some music, uh, as you know... To the, the news, it's actually nearly We're time. actually going to the news, are to we? To the news, yeah. Okay, we've got to go to the news. I've got to... Thank Trish Doyle for coming into the Rights Rights and Rants studio once again. Uh, only two weeks to go, so... Two weeks to go. Wish you all the best. Thank you. Thanks for Thanks having for me. Thanks for coming in. Talk to you again soon. Thanks, Trish. Thanks, Deb.